Welcome to the I Dare You podcast by United Against Human Trafficking. I'm your host, Elaine Andino, and we believe that together we can end exploitation. Hi, Ken. Welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm so excited to have you here today. We are talking about the importance of collaborating in the anti-human trafficking space. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So the bulk of my work and beginning was in Los Angeles, Southern California. At that time, you know, this concept of human trafficking has been more of a newer term, right? We were experiencing a lot of that, but we didn't really know we were. And so once we realized that that's what we were dealing with, there was something that just kind of struck, something happened inside of me. There was a, a drive to want to be involved. And so what I did is started looking around, like, you know, who's doing the work in this area? Finally, I um, had opportunity to align with an organization that had built their first program. And within literally, I think, four or five months of that, the federal government started their first National Human Trafficking Leadership Academy and got a chance to be in that, learn a lot. My eyes were open. That was made up of survivors, service providers, law enforcement, immigration. And then eventually that led to, you know, me even starting my own nonprofit uh, dealing with that because I saw a lot of gaps and the things that I learned at the academy. I wanted to really make sure somebody was filling that. And uh, yeah, that's how I kind of started. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your work in LA in the anti-human trafficking movement, um, especially around the Compton Task Force. So we noticed we were starting to do a lot of work and we were growing. There were task force growing, um, Long Beach Task Force, the L.A. Regional Task Force. So, of course, we started seeing that, wow, you know, when we started getting the data of who's really being affected um, at a greater numbers, and that was black females. And then it, it made us look at the space. We didn't have a lot of black leadership. I don't even believe it was any at the moment as far as like, you know, leading these these coalitions, these task force. So it made us uh, get together with some folks that could help move this thing with the city and decided that we would like to take that on and create a task force. And we decided that region would be Compton, but we would service South Central Watts and all the surrounding areas that were heavily brown and black because who better to help a community than the community itself? So we did that. And then it's just been growing and it's been amazing. It's a very diverse group of folks. And we don't just work there in L.A. We work here, you know, as we've actually done some kind of work here with UAHT. All of this work just speaks to your deep value of collaboration. You know, we were started as a coalition here and we still have our coalition, you know, with 55 plus members that now we have you leading. And then we started expanding this year into Louisiana, the whole purpose of collaborating. So why... Is this conversation around collaboration so vital? It is vital to collaborate because it's impossible to do it on our own. Mm -hmm. No matter how strong we are in certain areas and how many resources, this thing is massive. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody who's done the research and know the data, we have a huge issue, even domestically. So it's impossible for us to think one, two, three, even agencies can tackle this together. And then traffickers are always moving folks, right? A lot of times they're going different cities, different states. So if we're not aligned with folks in these different places, then how can we really effectively handle it? Collaboration is key because someone is always going to be stronger than you are in some area, but we make up Mm -hmm. where the others lack. And so when you think of collaboration, who is it really important to have at the table? Yes. For me, I do it in two segments. Human services professionals, the, and that includes all service providers. I don't care if you're doing therapy, if you're doing housing, residential, if you're doing, you know, economic empowerment, which is this word we're starting to hear now a lot. And I love that. 
It can be policies. It can be, you know, pushing legislation, but also that includes law enforcement. So for me, all those, that one category is all those professionals. But then the other compartment is the regular citizen out there. I may be a school teacher. I may be a stay-at-home mom or dad. You know, I may be a, a medical professional, right? So I, I think about those two, but I also believe they all need to be able to collaborate together. Mm-hmm. That citizen needs to know if I do learn red flags and I think I see something, what do I do? Who's appropriate to contact? So two segments, professionals in our space and then those that are not. Basically, our conversation is around how are we integrating community and all facets of community well in order to reach our goal, which is ending human trafficking. What has your experience been like where you have seen it working well or you haven't seen it working well what has that been like in different cities? Because no, I think that, that, that question is very imperative when you talk about effective collaboration. There is differences in each location you go in. There's cultural differences, mm-hmm. right? And culture, not just from race, but also just the type, like a Southern California versus a Houston, Texas. There's a different general mindset. Um, there's a different makeup of, you know, people, race and things of that nature. So it's very important to go into a space and really be open and be humble where I'm going to learn. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I don't know what works over here. So to go in there and really listen to people and ask the right questions, um, build the right relationships, making sure you're talking to folks that really have a good pulse of what's happening there, right? They're involved grassroots. Because if you don't do that, you go in and, you know, we've heard it before, well-intentioned people hurt people, right? So we don't want to do that. And so the best way to, to, to decrease our chances of doing that is go in and just really learn the landscape. Because I can tell you, like, Southern California, Houston, way more diversity generally among races, right, versus here at Houston, Texas. I've seen way more. And me, of course, being a black man, that's something I look at when I go into spaces, how many blacks are involved in this space, right, especially when I look at numbers saying, wow. The majority of the people affected street trafficking is black women. Okay, then that's important. Then versus coming here saying, wow, there's not that many. And especially when you talk about it at a leadership level, right? It is very important for me to make sure I'm at tables, to make sure that a different perspective is shared as well. Because we all share from our lens that our experience gives to us, right? And then we know there's cultures within cultures, right? right? We can't say all white folks are the same, all blacks are the same. We need to be listening and we need to learn before we try to create any strategy. I want to touch on the point that you were talking about Southern California being more diverse. Because actually, we know Houston is the most diverse city in the U.S., you know, surpassing even New York, which is shocking. But really what you're saying is when I'm in Southern California and I walk into this space as a black man, I see a lot of representation of who I am. When I come to Houston and I'm in the anti-human trafficking space, then it's not diverse. And I'm one of the few people at the table. Our whole goal, again, ending human trafficking, meeting people where they're at. If we only have a certain demographic sitting at the table, but we know trafficking is affecting all different races, then we have to have representation of all of those people that are being victimized at the table as well. All of the people who are survivors and overcomers at the table as well. It's huge that you are in Houston as a man for one. Yeah, I, see that. <laughs> I see that too. <laughs> right. Because I, it, it is very normal for men to come to me and say, Hey, I'm really passionate about this. 
is it okay if I participate in this conversation? They ask me permission because in their minds, we don't want them at the table because they're a man, which in reality, we have to have men at the table. So what has been your experience as a man encouraging other men to be involved? So I'm not surprised that you said, you know, these men come to you and they ask, hey, I'm passionate. I want to be involved because a healthy man, they're not going to want to see that done to any female or male. But again, why is that? Why are they asking permission? Well, if we go back in time, well, men were demonized. Let's be honest. Nationally here, because our thought process was only the men were the traffickers, pimps. Mm -hmm. um, And it was only women that were being abused by these men. And so men were kept out because supposedly all we did was objectify women and didn't value them, which is not the case. So now men, when they see other men in a space, it encourages them. It basically gives them like permission. Hey, so I can get involved in this too. So I get the same thing. And it's so interesting when I'm talking to, especially here now, when I talk to guys, they don't really even understand that they're part of the problem sometimes. They're involved in certain activities that perpetuate this. And so when they're able to see and connect the dots, they really want out and they want to start being a part of the solution. So, you know, I think what you're saying is very, very true. And I'm happy that actually men are coming to you. So I think in that spirit, us in this space should uh, think about creating a safe space for men, maybe having something geared toward men to invite them to come out to and talk about some of these things. Um, Yeah. I think what we're basically saying for a lot of different reasons on why we should collaborate is one of them is nobody can do it all alone. The problem's too big. We have to have strength in numbers. Yes. Two, we have to have representation because this affects all different types of people. And if we're only collaborating, we're only working with a certain group, we're missing out on the whole, again, strength of numbers and the representation and the innovation. There's so much more innovation when there's multiple minds at the table. People are coming from different perspectives, different lenses. That's really where the tension of ideas and creativity can really flourish. And you have to have all demographics absolutely at the table speaking about that. Okay, so if we know collaboration is so important, why do you think collaboration often doesn't happen? <laughs> I would love to answer that. <laughs> well, the reason, and, I, and honestly, you know, we all have gifts and strengths. I really believe that. But a lot of folks don't know how to use the resources they have, right? Um, they're looking at it, like we talked about earlier, only from the lens their experience gives to them. Let's be real. There are some unhealthy things sometimes um, for different reasons, right? We're all healing. But most of the time what I've seen is that people just really don't know how to do it, um, where they have a resource and they can be like, I've had somewhere I've walked in offices and said, hey, wow, I want to talk with you. And it's the head of the organization. <laughs> We're looking to do X, Y, and Z. I found out you're looking to do something we're already doing and you want to do it in this location. How about we work together? You come and do this. We'll create a space for you within our facility over here for you to do that. And if you allow us to serve, you know, your folks in this area, because you guys don't take care of, you know, these services. And it's like a light bulb moment. And so that's what I love to do. I'm passionate about showing people possibilities and and, uh, opportunities that we can create to do it right, but then also understand the need. We're driven by passion. Most of us, that's in definitely not right. by the money. Right. <laughs> so <For it's> sure. <laughs> but, you know, with that, I'm saying is because we care so much and we want this thing to end, I always want us to feel it. So to go back, why is it important that I take time to build a relationship? 
to really get to know who you are as a person, as an entity, right? To make sure, because we don't want to re-victimize survivors by sending them to someone who says, oh, we opened up a home now. Oh, and because we're so desperate for beds, we just send them there without going vet them and check and make sure that they're trauma-informed and survivor-informed to take care of them. So that's important. Like some people may feel they don't have capacity to do all that, to build those relationships. Uh, And then some maybe just don't know they're supposed to do that. So I think creating those conversations, again, is all about creating space and help people understand why this is important and why we must take time to do this. Because in the end, what it does, it honestly helps us all out. And we're doing less work because now we have a wheel oil machine. I think there is a level of fear that plays into it. And so reflection can be difficult sometimes. But I do think that there's a level of people are fearful, scarcity mindset. If, you know, we work with these people, will they get more funding than we get, you know? And then also the not knowing how to work with people who are different than them or don't agree with them on everything. And instead of pushing through the uncomfortableness of that, in my experience, I have seen people shy away from collaboration because they don't want to push through the fear. What are your thoughts? It's the same approach we take for overcomers that we're serving. Like we want to meet people where they're at. And I do agree with you. We should try to push through and have those conversations and be open. And we, at the same time, we have to be understanding that some people are not ready to move past that. So we want to respect them. And it's okay to like disagree on something. That is okay. As long as we can all agree and you know this better than anyone with what you do and um, the roles you serve in is that we do agree that we want to end this thing. Mm-hmm. So as long as we can agree there and continue to work together, we may not be able to work in certain capacities because we're disagreeing on something. That's fine. But as long as we agree that we want to end it, we can still work together on some level, mm-hmm. right? It just may not be, you know, this really close collaboration, working with relationship or a partnership, mm-hmm. but we can still work together in a level um, and until someone's ready and they may never be ready. You know, we find that a lot with um, spiritual faith-based things and nonprofits, right? It would be hypocritical us to say, you have to do X, Y, and Z and go against right. your beliefs. Right. So we don't want that. And I know that's my goal is always trying to have that open space to where people can freely talk about and share how they're feeling, what they're uncomfortable with, if it feels like it's going against their values. And we can talk through that. But at the end of the day, we don't want to force anyone to, um, be pushed past the limit because that's not going to serve the survivors or overcomers well at all. Right. It's not. Want to touch on the risk factors associated or even the perceived risk factors associated with collaboration, which, which goes back to the fear piece. Um, The conversation that you brought up around collaborating with people that we don't agree with it, that is just hard for people to stomach right now in our day and age, we are all on polar opposites of every subject you can imagine. And everybody wants to fight about it. Um, Social media and everything is very loud. So there's a finesse and an art and a desire to work with people who we don't agree with that I think is being lost because there's not a whole lot of value placed on it. And so 
to be the person who says, hey, I want to work with you, even though we don't agree on X, Y, and Z, that can become risky for a variety of reasons. Um, You can be called a sellout. Your board cannot agree with you. The other person might reject your offer. Like that's all real and uncomfortable. What are some ways that you have navigated that tension when you're in a room and you know that you're not agreeing with everything and it's a risk to put forth a collaboration on a piece, how, what are some ways that you've navigated or thought you have around that? Well, first of all, what you're talking about is a very real thing that's not talked about a lot mm-hmm. for that very reason, that fear. We knew we were going to deal with that because we have like, you know, in this space, we want everyone working. I work with like, I mean, I still do work in Long Beach, California with the Jewish community, you know, um, because they do a lot of great work out there. But I also work with the Muslims. There's Muslims against mosque in San Diego. Um, You know, so we we, I already knew that we were going to have some major differences. And my goal was to make sure everyone feel that they had a place and they can come in and do what they want to do, what they need to do. But in a way that we can all agree that everybody feels, right? Nobody feels they're pushed past a point or they have to compromise some belief system. Um, But when you talk about that fear of that is meat. Uh, (laughs) So the things that I've seen is just really making sure what I've been saying is that we can talk it through. And at the end of the day, a decision has to be made, meaning a line has to be drawn. We have to encourage healthy boundaries. So if you just don't feel good, there's times I just did not feel good about going forward with someone because of something. Maybe I didn't like um, the lack of respecting other folks. You know, so for me, everybody has a seat at the table and there's enough to take care of everyone. Right. So if I feel like I'm put in a position where I have to make a choice to go along with an entity or a person, I will tend to pull out. But I will share or at least try to get the opportunity to share what I'm feeling and make sure I'm accurate. Right. Um, and that's risky. Right. Because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm judging them or attacking. Them. I just have to be honest with what I feel, what I see. And sometimes I have been that person in a lot of settings where I'm the only one because I'm, my goal is I'm always seeking to be authentic. Like I don't ever want to leave a conversation or leave something where you feel a certain way where you're, you're thinking that I'm, I'm either with you or something. And that's hard, you know, right. right? So I think what you're saying is true. Most people are afraid of that. And when you brought up the example of that heavy stuff with the board, you may be going, like feel completely different in your board because now you're put in a tough situation where, you know, they're helping guide the business of this. So sometimes you have to bite the bullet. But I do believe personal choice we still have as a person. You may not be able to do something as an entity, mm-hmm. right? Right. At that moment, but as a person. You can still go and do some things. And uh, as long as I can have a voice, you know, and say I feel, but then I'm going to respect the way they want to do it. That doesn't mean me as a person not associated with that entity can go out and go help a community that I feel they needs help. or go try to understand them. Right. Um, and I've been in that situation. I've been there with, to be honest, the trans community. Um, I, if I'm transparent, I'm still learning, you know, that community. And, uh, and I'm seeing great needs in that one as well. So, you know, I wanted to make sure I went in those spaces. And when I do go, even to this day, that I'm really open and I'm really listening or whatever, because I want to be equipped. So whatever I do, I can make sure I'm responsible whenever we have a need to take care of. So 
Uh, but there's fear there. Right. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable right now for folks. It is uncomfortable. And I think one of the, the pieces of like learning that goes back to just the adaptability and the willingness to be open and to learn from other people. I think it can be super scary and require a lot of us to walk into a space that we're not used to working with a certain demographic or a certain organization, whether that's a nonprofit organization or a corporation, um, or if you're an individual walking into an organization to volunteer, to help out. If it's a culture you're not used to, if it's a culture you're, you haven't had a lot of exposure to or ways of thinking that you're not used to, it requires us to be willing to be adaptable and to listen and to learn before we come up with solutions or ideas. And I think a lot of times we want to move really quickly. Like Mm -hmm. I have this idea, I know what to do. And that adaptability kind of requires resilience and, and fortitude to sit and be like, okay, let me just be in this space and learn and then come up with solutions and partner together. Right. And partnership is so key too. It can't be just one of us walking in the room being like, I've got the answers. (laughs) But it's this give and take back and forth and being willing to hear like, nah, I don't think that's going to work, bro. Or like, <laughs> or like, yeah, you absolutely. That's completely, absolutely. yeah. I mean, you know, good synergy. Um, and we have to be willing to kind of dig into those conversations and have them, which is, I know the place that you and I are coming from with the coalition and now the work in Louisiana that we're doing is like, how do we create those safe spaces for people to do that, for people to have real conversations for real ideas to come out um, and, you know, not one person taking all the credit, but all of us are in this together. You know, that's a, that's a high value for us. It is. It is. And I love that. And again, you know, when I said in the beginning, that's one of the things I'm very honored to be aligned with, you know, UEHT because you guys naturally, that's who you are, not just the name, but I mean, how you move and your philosophy. And so I love that. And so I know Coming into Louisiana, most people may not know, but I'm originally from Louisiana, right? And where we're building is in my home city. So I'm like ecstatic about this. So grateful because this was a long-term vision too for me and now to be doing it. But that's a great example because you're looking at a city, right? You're looking at a parish, Calcasieu Parish as a whole, where if you think about the last two and a half years, Mm -hmm. they've been devastated with travesty. Two major hurricanes. They also experienced the freeze. Then they had a flood. Right. I mean, it's just been a disaster. I mean, there's people still living in RVs. There's still, you know, blue tarps on roofs or whatever. Like your business businesses, <laughs> those buildings are still sometimes have no ceilings. Right. right? You know, um, so there's a lot going on. So when you go into a space like that to do the work that we're doing, because as we know, we study that anytime there's devastation somewhere, they're high risk for being trapped because those right. predators go there now because they know oh, there should be a lot of vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So you, you're looking at all those factors and you go into a place, it's so imperative to make sure that number one, you go in hands up. We just want to help. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to take advantage. We're not trying to take anything. We just want to help. Here's how we can help. So I think mm-hmm. mo- a lot of our success has been the fact that that's who we are and that's how we, and it's been well received because that's, that's just a resilience with those right. folks because they've lived through so much anyway. But there's a, a power in their community and they have a natural desire to want to work together because they've had to. So they've learned. It's not even a question anymore. And so um, I think had we come in differently, there's a strong possibility 
that it could have been a disaster. Right. And we wouldn't be able to be at the place we're at right now. And, you know, we've aligned ourselves with some amazing entities and folks Mm -hmm. there that's really going to help drive it. And the other piece of that is empowering people. You know, one sure way to help and not be all about you is to give people power to do things. You know, for instance, with our coalitions, if I'm running around trying to do everything in these coalitions, first of all, it's not sustainable. And as we grow, I'm one person. But when you have these amazing hearts that come and they're totally more than capable and they join these coalitions and these committees, then empower them, give them opportunity to want to take leads on things and do things. Because a lot of times they're going to do it better than you would have done it because they, again, have a different strength, a different gift. And so that's how synergy starts. People don't stick around long. You know, they're talked to all the time. People don't stick around long if they're not given opportunity to shine or give matter, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think to answer your question is going in those spaces, knowing the landscape. I think, again, that's who you guys are. That's who we are. And um, I just, you know, that needs to always be a conversation. Right. Every single time that needs to happen. Yeah. Let's talk about two different, two different types of people. Um, we have somebody in the nonprofit space looking to collaborate, or we have an individual who wants to really get involved in the movement. What are some things that you could say to each one of them on first steps on how to collaborate mm-hmm. and what they should be doing? Well, I'll tell you what I always do at my coalition meetings. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody listening that knows me know even my uh, human trafficking task force. But I'm about being responsible with it. So I talk about don't just take cards, right? We do that all the time. Whether we're in this space or we're in the business world, we get, oh, yeah, here's my card. Here's my card. And now we have the little dot cards where you can just tap your phone, right? It's quicker now. (laughs) But how many times do we actually follow up? Do we send that email right away? Do we write down, okay, go sit in my car. Okay, who is Anna? Who is, you know, Elaine? Who? And make sure. so So when I go back to follow up, now I remember exactly what I'm supposed to talk to them about and who it is. And then I go. And now my goal from there is to set up a meeting. Mm-hmm. If I have a space, they come to my space. That's very important. If they have a space that I know I want to send maybe clients to, then I'm going to go to their space because I'm looking for things. I'm looking to see how aware are you about trauma and surviving form from the outside of your building, from where it's located geographically. When they walk in that door, what are they experiencing to your staff? You know, so those are the things. And at the end of the day, we're going to do work with people that we like and we feel comfortable. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. That's natural for us. When you talk about that organic, right. holistic approach, we want to go where we feel like, okay, there's a natural collaboration. We may not agree on everything and be the same type of people, but there's this natural, wow, I feel understood. I feel heard. Mm-hmm. And it's mutual. With the professionals, I say, take time you know, follow up for when you meet someone, I don't care. Maybe it's not in person. Maybe it's an email. Someone has connected you. Mm-hmm. Don't devalue that. If somebody's thinking that highly of you to connect you with someone, follow up right away and see if you can start a conversation. Honestly, there may be nothing that come from that, mm-hmm. right? But there may be something. So follow up on those things. And then for the individual that's not involved, you know, um, as a matter of fact, this past Sunday, I was at a church and then I had a person come up to me uh, and that was way in the Bay Area, you know, at Church of the Bay. And this lady comes up to me and she says, hey, I heard you work in human trafficking. I was like, oh, well, yeah. Uh, what'd you hear? Because I'm like, make sure you don't think I'm a trafficker. And so she's like, <laughs> laughing. And then she says, um, well, no, there's a situation with a young uh, little black boy. He was like 10 years old, but everybody knows him in that complex. And he, he has autism really bad. And he, w- he had some kind of weapon. It wasn't a gun or something, but law enforcement was called. And then they treated him like a grown man and the lights. And he was scared and crying. And 
we don't we want to avoid that? Is there we were thinking, can we put a ban on like maybe start saying, is there a ban? And don't you work with police? Can you talk to them and see if that will work where they wear like if you have autism? Now, I helped her see the different aspects of that. Right. And I said, wow. I said, but let me stop you right now. I said, what you're doing right now is exactly the right thing. I said, that's what we want. Because look at what you experience. I've never had that experience. I say, you're coming, you're, you're identifying somebody who's working in a space that for you, this is like, I'm human trafficking. This is a trafficking case, but you know that I have a link to police. Right. For the folks that's not involved, think about it. You don't have to be in a space, but think about those who are, has that resource that you need that can help you resolve something, understand something or fix something and then figure out how you reach out to them and then ask questions like that. You know, that's a phone call, calling someone like us, emailing, going to a website. What's a contact number? Going to, you know, calling law enforcement. So there's always something that we can do and we ask people to do. The thing that we don't want to do is have people just like do nothing. Right. And, and, and if you, even if it's just getting education right now, that's very key and vital because that will open up your mind and open up other things. And, you know, you're honestly, it will help you be more alert right. and uh, aware. So. Everything that you were saying, there was so much purpose and intentionality. You know, when people hear collaboration, maybe some people, what they think is like, we're trying to live in this utopia where we are just like, everybody's amazing. We should all work together and love each other. And there's not real thought and purpose behind who we collaborate with, how we go about collaborating. And then also you touched on something that I think is so important is recognizing our own experiences and our own lenses and what that naturally brings. We don't have to be anybody else other than ourselves. And we bring ourselves to the table and we all have stories. We all have experiences. We all have vital viewpoints on things. And what we naturally have can be an asset and could be a missing gap in an area. And we can say, Hey, you know what? I got that piece. And then we stay true to who we are And we learn to move with an intentionality with the people around us. Like, A, we move. We don't just sit, um, but we move. We go that extra mile. Man, I can't tell you how many business cards I've taken and I'm not falling up. (laughs) Real talk. But it's true. Like, you just, you have to take that extra step for things to happen. Um, And then when we run into issues where we're like, you know what? There's just something about this that I don't trust. Not that I don't understand. There's differences, I think, between... I don't understand why this person thinks this way versus uh, I think there's something there that's actually harmful and discerning between those two things when we collaborate, I think is really, really necessary. So staying curious about people and why they are where they are, but knowing when to draw the lines, (laughs) you know, I think is huge. What is something that you would really want people to take away from this conversation? Just like a, a couple bullet points. Okay. Is number one, the power of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I'm stealing what you just said, actually, uh, purpose and intentionality, yeah. <laughs> because I, I do come from that. I come yeah. from, you know, inspir- inspiration, but it's purpose and intentionality. So I'm going to start using it. Thank you, Please Elaine. Please do. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you guys going to hear that at the coalition <laughs> meetings and everywhere else. Um, but, you know, that to to understand uh, the importance of it, right, in this movement. But it's honestly, I know we're talking about human trafficking, but just in life, collaboration is so empower- right. important. Sure. Um, and then two, how to effectively collaborate in order to do that. You have to come with purpose and intentionality. There it is my first time. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what it is because it's actually responsible. It's making sure that before I align myself. And of course, 
we do our best. None of us are perfect. You know, we may find out along the way somebody views may change or something, or maybe they weren't, you know, upfront and, and open about something that we thought and then we find out later. But then you always have that power to, like you said, draw that line in the sand and say, hey, this is not going to lo- no longer work because of X, Y, Z. So the, the importance of collaboration, um, how to do it with purpose and intentionality, and then to show that anybody can collaborate. Right. And if you're not in this movement, you can still be a major force. We just finished uh, here in Houston with the Truffle Sauce Film Screen. This is a film company out of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? And they came and just, hey, they had never worked in the space. They heard about it and just wanted to write about this and bring some awareness. And they started, what did they do? Collaborate with us, Landing and different other folks. And, you know, created this beautiful awareness opportunity for us to come now and educate. And now to give people more resources, say, hey, in the Houston area, we're right here. Here's how you access us. We can help. And now they're doing it again in L.A. So, so I think knowing that you all can do something uh, in a way to help this. Don't ever feel like your hands are tied that I, I, I don't know what to do. That's a phone call away. That's an email away. Right. So, yeah. So those are my three. Your call to action, shall we say. Okay. I like to end every podcast with a dare for our listeners. So what would you dare our listeners to well, do? I haven't played this in many years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, I dare you, listening audience out there, to, whether it is in human trafficking or a life period, to live with purpose and intentionality. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. It's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. More to come, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. Cheers. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to I Dare You. We'd love to hear from you. And if you've completed one of our dares or have a suggestion for future episodes or just want to learn how to further engage in ending trafficking. You can find us on all major social media platforms or feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at uht.org.